0: Thank you for the worship team uh, this morning. Thank you, Sam, for leading us in worship. And uh, Justin for playing and for Isabel for, for uh, supporting that. Thank you for those things. So, well, welcome. Good morning and welcome to Grace Bible Church. Uh, I hope you're doing, doing well this morning, this Lord's Day morning. I'm thankful to my Lord. I'm always thankful to my Lord to gather with you. Uh, I want you to know, I, I find my strength to navigate this dark and chaotic world when I gather with you as a body of believers. That's where I find I find my strength. Ultimately, I know I find my strength in the Lord, but it, it's the body that that He's put us, made us a part of, that we are able to gain that strength from. There are many Christians, as you may know, as you hear, if you if you're. Reading the internet, if you're on social media, there are many Christians who question whether we actually need to attend church or to be a part of a church. After all, when we become believers, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit and we're placed into the body of Christ. Therefore, they argue that we don't need to physically be here, that we don't need to physically join the body of Christ. In their minds, we can be little lights shining in our own context, in our own workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, and we can... We can listen to preachers on the internet without making any commitment to a local church. But it's clear from the New Testament that our Lord intended for us to physically gather as the body of Christ. We, yes, we can be, we are called to be little lights shining in dark places. And as such, we, we need to go out into the world to let our light shine. That, that is true. But we need to recognize how easily our lights can be extinguished, that is, when we are going it alone. Can you imagine walking down a dark path at night with no one else with you? What happens when your flashlight goes out on the trail? And it's funny because when we were in Guatemala with Pablo and, and his family for Pablo and Chloe's wedding, we walked down a very dark path through the woods to get to Pablo's family's house Pablo actually walked that path by himself many times when he was when he was younger you see they live on a like a slope of a mountain in a, in a nature preserve in near Guatemala City and generally we walk down together down that trail using flashlights the flashlights on our phone and, but it was very very dark and I would I would have never attempted to walk down that trail alone at night unless I had guidance from someone who had walked that path many times Pablo had walked that path many times, and so I could go with him, and he knew every nook and cranny of the trail. He knew all the dangers. You see, when we're walking alone down dark paths, we need help. We need help. By ourselves, we're a small light that can easily be extinguished, but we are protected when we're together. We're protected when we're together. We possess our own lights, yes. Lights that reflect the beauty of our Lord, yet we need to help one another along these dark pathways of life. We need to recognize that we live in a dark world, and we live in a a dark city here in Gainesville, in, in this dark world. In Psalm 23, Psalm 23 verse 4, David writes, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And walk through the valley of shadow of death. The shadow of death, friends. Jesus uses his church to comfort us as we walk through that dark valley. I often, I often pray Paul's words. I didn't today, but I often do in Second Corinthians chapter one, where he says that God is the Father of mercies and all comfort. He says in Second Corinthians one four, he says he comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now that's a a mouthful. But do you get the picture here? That we are comforted, but we are comforted in such a way uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit so that we might use that same comfort to comfort one another. I love his words of Encouragement in 2 Corinthians 1.5, for just as the sufferings of Christ abound to us, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Just a beautiful picture of the body of Christ and how the body of Christ works together. When When we let our light shine in this dark world, the sufferings of Christ will abound to us. Do you get that? When you let your light shine in this dark world, you will... Suffer the sufferings of Christ. They will abound to us. We will be persecuted. We will suffer like our Lord suffered. This is a difficult world that we live in. But when we stand together, we can boldly shine the light of the gospel in a dark world. We can be confident that the Lord's rod and staff will comfort us. And when we receive His comfort, our lights will shine in an even greater way. Now last week we began to study as you know Matthew 5:13 through 16. As we started I gave you a few questions to consider and I want to repeat those questions as we continue in this section today. These are questions I want you to ponder. Do people suspect or even know that you are a Christian even when you don't say anything? In the world, when you're living, when you're at work, or when you're in school, do they know that you're a Christian or suspect that you're a Christian even when you don't say anything? When people see your actions and attitudes, do they see Christ or do they see something else? When they hear your speech, do they recognize Christ? Do they recognize something different about your speech or do they hear the world? Do you make the world around you a better place by proclaiming the gospel and by manifesting God's goodness to the world? And lastly, are you willing to preach the good news of Jesus even when it's not popular? Even when the world is against you? So with that, let me read the text for this morning. Matthew 5, 13-16. And let's get started. Matthew 5, starting in verse 13. Jesus tells his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, to be trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Heavenly Father, we pray this morning for your guidance. We pray asking that for the Holy Spirit to help us understand and apply your word. Father, we pray this morning that you would be glorified in Christ's name. Amen. At 10 o'clock in the morning on May 19th, 1780, folks along the eastern seaboard noticed a strange haze spreading across the sky. Then a thick darkness settled on the eastern part of the United States. By noon that day, schools were dismissed, candles were lit, Torches were set in the streets. Birds even went to roost. By one o'clock in the afternoon, fear had turned into panic as the premature nightfall continued. Thousands crowded into churches to hear ministers expound on the Day of Judgment. It is thought that the primary cause of the darkness was actually a combination of smoke from forest fires, a thick cloud of fog, and a cloud cover. The darkness was so complete that candles were required from noon throughout the next day. The cloud did not disperse until the middle of the next night. It has been shown that the smoke actually came from a great forest fire in, in Ontario, Canada. In the words of revolutionary soldier Joseph Plum Martin, he says this, I know that it was very dark where I was then in New Jersey, so much so that the fowls went to their roost, the cocks crowed, the whippoorwills sung their usual serenade. The people had to light candles in their houses to enable them to see, to carry on their usual business. The night was uncommonly dark as the day was. Now during this darkness, during this time in Hartford, Connecticut, both houses of the legislature were meeting. But one of them quickly dismissed since its members thought the world would end at any moment. The other body continued, although they were greatly distressed. One man finally made a motion to disband since the day of reckoning was thought to have come. Immediately, a man named Mr. Davenport, a Christian, objected. Here's what he said. Mr. Speaker, this is either the day of judgment or it is not. If it is not, then there's no need for adjourning. If it is, I desire to be found doing my work. I move that candles be brought in and that we proceed to business, in quotes. Now, after Mr. Davenport's comments, the meeting went on. Now, there's much to say about this incredible occurrence, but for our purposes, I want to focus on Mr. Davenport's response. He said, if it's judgment, I want to be found doing my work. In other words, as a Christian, he had nothing to fear and he wanted to keep his light shining for all to see. He gives us a great example to live in our own dark days, does he not? We don't have a physical cloud of darkness hanging over us today, but it cannot be denied that our world is increasingly yielding to the darkness around us. Even the darkness knows it's winning. Today, more than ever, we need to take Mr. Davenport's advice. We need to Light our candles against this current darkness. We need to trust that they will shine brighter than ever, because the the light shines brighter than ever against the darkness, does it not? And we need to be faithfully doing our work as representatives to of, of the King. In our text today, in Matthew five fourteen through through sixteen, King Jesus gives his representatives on earth. That would be five, 5 thirteen through sixteen. King Jesus gives his representatives on earth, present and future, to critical expectations. As disciples, your king, your king, King Jesus, expects you, now we saw this last week, to be a preserving agent in the world. Jesus proclaims you are the salt of the earth, and he expects you to be salty. Now today we're going to see that you are to have an illuminating presence to the world. And Jesus proclaims, you, you, his disciples, are the light of the world, and he expects you to let your light shine. Now, let's quickly review the king's first expectation of his representatives. By the way, you and I are his representatives on earth if we're true believers. So the first expectation that we saw last week was he expects you to be a preserving agent in the world. Now, last week, we started to study this first expectation by reviewing the first, the first four chapters of Matthew and up to the point that we are in Matthew chapter 5. Now, in those chapters, we saw example after example of men and women who God had called to be the salt of the earth. We saw men like Abraham. We saw men like David. And we saw women like Rahab. And we saw uh, Ruth. And, and we, we saw kings. And we saw commoners. We saw The normal, and we saw the quirky, John the Baptist being the quirky. But they were all the salt of the earth. And as such, God calls all His people, His representatives, He calls you and I, every one of us, if we are His true disciples, He calls us to be the salt of the earth. In in Matthew 5.13, He says just that. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Last week, we explored some of the general uses and functions of salt. We looked at several functions, such as giving flavor, such as antiseptic being an antiseptic, and uh, or, or causing thirst. But what we saw, and what we concluded, was that all of these can be boiled down to perhaps the greatest function of salts. Well, the greatest function of salt is that it preserves. Salt preserves. Therefore, when Jesus proclaims that you are the salt of the earth, he is making the declaration that as Christians, you and I are to have a preserving effect on the world. Now, in effect, this means, this means that our current world is in a state of decay. It's in a state of decay. In our day of refrigeration, we don't use salt to preserve foods as much as they did in the past, although we do. Salting is still a fairly common method of preserving food around the world. When food such as fish is salted, it doesn't spoil as quickly. Yet, here's what we need to recognize. It's instructive for us to recognize that just like food left in the fridge too long, we do that a lot in my house, we leave food in the fridge too long, and it goes bad. Food preserved by salting still goes bad over time. The salt only acts as an agent to slow the spoilage. In the same way, this world is proceeding from bad to worse, yet as Christians, We are called to live in a way that helps retard the rate of decay. Now, that's very instructive for us today, because we see many things going on in the world. We see the chaos of the world. But as Christians, we're called to live steady lives, loving the Lord, bringing glory to the Lord, so that the world may see our good works and glorify Him. Now, we are called to gather together. We are called to form communities of believers called the local church. And then we're to influence the world around us with the goodness of the Lord. Again, this is an example of the importance of the church. That's why I brought it up in the beginning. As a church, we are important because we need to show the world around us what it means to live for Christ. And we cannot have that same effect if we just are living as individual Christians alone in this world. We come together as the body of Christ to be given the foundation of the Word and, and the strengthening of fellowship, and then, then we go out into the world around us. We have each other together so that we can be strengthened, but we, then we go out and we preach the gospel in the world. But in doing so, we need to be salty. Our Lord, your Lord, the Lord Jesus, expects you to be salty. He expects you to be salty as His representatives. For example, we live in Gainesville in the shadow of the University of Florida, do we not? I am thankful that there are many Christians within the university and the medical communities here in Gainesville, but we have to recognize, we have to recognize that the majority of, these, of the people in this community, the majority of the people that are part of those, the, the university and the medical community are antagonistic to God. We live, we live in a city that's full of unbelievers, do we not? Does anybody argue that point? I don't think so. I don't think we could. And if left to their own devices, they would would proceed from bad to worse. Now as Christians, we are called to have a preserving effect on the community around us. We do that by coming together to be given a solid foundation of doctrine. We come together to be strengthened and comforted by the fellowship of believers. And we come here to be encouraged to fight the good fight of the faith. Then we go out to fight against the evil around us. Now, I'm thankful that over the centuries, the church has made incredible strides in preserving the world around us. Some, some even believe that, that the church is having this effect and ultimately that the world is going to become good. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't prescribe to that. I prescribe to what the Bible says, which is the wor- world is, is proceeding from bad to worse. But even in, in doing so, we are called to be a part of the culture. We are part to be, called to be a part of preserving the culture. In our culture as the church, we have fought against the putrid and the polluted and we have won many battles. But here's the thing. Your job as a Christian is to continue to fight those battles within your families, within the church, and within the wider community. Yet, yet here's Jesus' warning. We're not to lose our saltiness. We're not to lose our saltiness. Notice He says in, in Matthew 5.13, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out to be trampled underfoot by men. We need to recognize that salt cannot become something other than salt. It can't. But when salt is contaminated by other elements, by outside impurities, it can become useless for its intended purposes. As such, it loses its value as salt. In that sense it's no longer salty. You see, church, we live in a hostile world that is bent on killing all influence of our Lord. The easiest way to render us ineffective is for us to compromise with the world. The quickest way to make us lose our saltiness is if we become friends with the world and start looking like the world. James James warned his readers in James chapter 4, he warned his readers Friendship with the world is hostility toward God. You see, here's what we have to recognize. So so Jesus is warning, do not lose your saltiness. Here's what we have to recognize. We cannot give flavor to the world when we've lost all our flavor by becoming just like the world. Does that make sense? We cannot be an antiseptic to unbelievers' conscience when we have ignored our own consciences, right? Right? And we can't cause the world to be thirsty for Christ's righteousness when we pursue a legalistic and worldly righteousness. And we certainly cannot represent the judgment of God when we look like the world dressed, dressed in, just dressed in Christian garb. Right? When we look like the world and we just kind of dress it up in Christian garb, we can't represent the, the, the judgment of God when we do that. Right? We certainly cannot keep the world from the corruption of sin when we're mired in the putrid squalor of sin's ugly grip. You see, salt losing its saltiness is the perfect illustration. It's the illustration our Lord used. Salt does not cease to be salt. But true Christians, beloved, true Christians cannot lose their salvation, but they can certainly lose their effectiveness when they're infected by the impurities of the world. When you're acting like the world, you have nothing to say to the world. Also, we can forget that a lack of true faith is revealed in the crucible of trials and testing. You see, when we're acting like the world, there's no testing that comes because we're acting like the world. You see, trials and testing burn off the impurities to make us more pure, and they reveal that we do not, tr- or, and they, or they reveal that we don't have a true faith in the first place. No, losing our saltiness doesn't mean lo- that we've lost our salvation. It means that we are no longer effective as salt and have become disqualified for service. We are no longer good for anything except to be thrown out as a footpath for men to trample. That's what our Lord says. With that, that's, that's all review and a little extra added in. With that, let's look at the second expectation that the Lord has of you. He, he expects you to be a, a, to have an illuminating presence to the world. He expects you, King Jesus expects you to have an illuminating presence to the world. Look at your text in Matthew 5.14. He says, you are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Now, what we have to recognize is that we haven't completely lost the left the salt illustration yet. In this text, Jesus has a certain priority. You see, Jesus is prioritizing being salt before being light you may recall in in the in the beatitudes that jesus dealt with and we we spent several weeks going through the beatitudes jesus dealt with who we are before he dealt with what we do you remember that well in other words we have to be something before we can act like that you have to be a christian before you can act like a christian Everything else is just a false faith, and as James says in James 2.17, even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead by itself. You see, the being, the being, true faith, salt, always precedes the doing, light, right? Which is what salt and light. We have to recognize that being salt has a general effect on the world, and when you were when you became a Christian, you, you you began to attend church. Hopefully, this was an example. When you did not happen, this was an example to your existing friends uh, of the life change that you had undergone. Right? You, you you even became baptized. You you proclaimed your faith before before a watching world. Hopefully, you even made a new set of friends in the church. Uh, when you be- became a Christian, if you were if you were a fa- in a family, you began to raise your family differently. That's what happened to me and my wife. Uh, this was an example of how Jesus had changed our priorities. Uh, when when we but when I became a Christian, we we continue to live and and we continued to work in the culture, but but we were different. And and when you become a, so, when you become a Christian, you become different. You have a, a different work ethic. You do you do your work as under the Lord. You have a, a different attitude towards your boss. You obeyed, and you were no longer antagonistic. And in, and in doing those things, because of the life change that you had undergone, in doing those things, you automatically have an effect on people around you. Uh, you, you you're not like the world, and it, it's obvious that you're not like the world. And, and, and ultimately, if you're effective as salt, you have a preserving effect on people in the culture around you. Put another way, uh, you've been clothed with Christ, Christ's righteousness. You've you've become. Uh, uh, you're you're in Christ, and and you're just walking out the implications of that truth. Uh, you are the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. You become that person. Uh, you are you become salt. In the words of Martin Lloyd Jones, Scripture always. Emphasizes first what a Christian is before it speaks to what it does. What he does. And I'm afraid many of us have this backwards and upside down. Uh, we we need to always start with who we are before we can deal with what we do. Martin Lloyd Jones goes on to say, as a Christian, I should always have a general effect upon men before I have any specific effect. Wherever I find myself, immediately that something different about me should have its effect. And that, in turn, ought to lead men and women to look at me and say, "There's something unusual about that man." And then, as they watch my conduct and behavior, they begin to ask me questions. You, you see what happens if you're living as salt. If you're living as one who has hope in Him, people are going to see the difference, and they're going to ask questions. And that's precisely where questions. And that's precisely where the metaphor of light enters. It is after Jesus declares you are the salt of the earth that He declares you are the light of the world. And in this text, He declares you are the light of the world. Now, we need to look at what it means to be light. And we need to then look at the metaphor of light and darkness in Scripture. So, in making this declaration that you are the light of the world, we need to recognize that the world is currently full of darkness. But what are the implications of that truth? And in thinking this through, we need to understand how, Christ- how Scripture uses light and darkness. Now, starting in Genesis 1.1, you can turn there if you want. It always, uh, with me, it always starts with Genesis because I believe that's where it all begins. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1, if you're not there. Then Moses... Then Moses gives us a description of the earth before God began the process of creation. In Genesis 1-2 it says, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. You see, the earth was formless and void. In other words, the world was dark, chaotic, and had no purpose before God began to act. Then he says in and then he says, the Lord said in, in Genesis 1:3, "Let there be lights, and there was lights." And God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from the darkness. And He called the light day, and he called, and, and <clears throat> he called the light day, and the darkness He called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day." Now as we consider what God accomplished on day one, we should recognize that darkness, the darkness in the world existed before lights. Now, as such, we should see another related truth. In, in, the, in the words of D.A. D. Carson, light and darkness are not simply opposites. Darkness is nothing other than the absence of light. That's important for us to recognize. Darkness is nothing other than the absence of light. Before God created light, there was only darkness in this world. Let me give you another major implication with this. That light emanates or comes from God. Let me say that again. Light emanates or comes from God alone. Now we see this in Genesis chapter 1. First, God created the light. Now that's, that we saw that in Genesis 1 verses 2-4. through 4, But what we need to recognize is that the light existed before the light givers. And look at Genesis 1, 14-18. In Genesis 1, 14 through 18, it says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day from night, and let them be for the signs, for signs, and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. So God made the two great lights: the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night. And also the stars. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. Now, here's what happens. Skeptics of the biblical account of po- creation points out point out that God created light before he created the sun, moon, and stars. So, of course, from a purely naturalistic point of view, that's impossible, right? I mean, if we look at it, that we believe light comes from the sun, therefore, therefore, how could light be created before the sun was created? You get the picture. That's why they say you can't trust Genesis chapter 1. But I think that this makes a great point, that light ultimately comes from God, not from the sun. That's a secondary light source. The sun, moon, and stars are secondary light sources. They find their energy, they find their source in God Himself. You see, for His purposes, He is using the sun as the main light source in our natural world. Yes, but supernaturally speaking, God is the ultimate source of all light, for that matter, of all energy. More specifically, Paul tells us that Jesus is the source of these things. In Colossians 1 through 16 and 17, it says, For in Him, that is in Christ, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him, and for Him He is before all things. And get this, in Him all things hold together. The world itself is being held together. The gravity that you think is gravity, yes, it's gravity, but He's the one who gives that energy to the world that allows that to happen. He is given all those things. He is the reason why this world doesn't fly apart at any given time. He holds it together by the Word of His power. Hallelujah, amen. Absolutely. Since the beginning of creation and throughout Scripture, Light has been associated with first the presence of God, the truth of God, and the redemptive activity of God. And as we have seen from Genesis chapter 1, we have seen that light was brought into being by God the creator of the world. Now, we can go, we're not going to do this today, but we can go to Revelation and we can see that at the end, in eternity, that light source will be the Father and the Son, Right? It, it, it won't be the sun, moon, and stars. It will be God Himself. Again, the, the end proves the beginning. Uh, you say, well, you can't, have, you can't have light without the sun. I'm telling you, you can. Because the source is God Himself. But throughout Scripture, light represents truth, goodness, and God's redemptive work, while darkness symbolizes error, evil, and the works of Satan. In Isaiah nine two, Isaiah proph- prophesied that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light, and those who live in the land of the shadow of death, the light will shine on them. Matthew, in Matthew chapter four verses fourteen through sixteen, Matthew quotes this verse to show that Jesus' Galilean ministry, including the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew five through seven, fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. It fulfills the fact that they will see a great light and the light will shine on them. So Jesus, in effect, was preaching in a dark place, proclaiming the light of the gospel to a people sitting in darkness. And in doing so, he is proclaiming to them that they are the light of the world. But here's what's amazing, putting all this together. Here's what's amazing. Jesus Himself is the source of that light. The Apostle John puts many of these ideas together in John 1, 1-10. If you want to turn there, it's like the New Testament Genesis, John 1. It says in the beginning, John 1 if you're there, <clears throat> John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That in the beginning... Same wording that, that is used in the Old Testament, Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. He was in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Of course, he's talking about the second person of the Trinity. He's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says, All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So, so Jesus created everything, right? That's what He's saying. John is picking up on the narrative that we, see, we saw in Genesis chapter 1, and it's the same thing that we saw in Colossians chapter 1. Jesus, then, is the source of all creation. Now look at John 1, 4 through 10. He says, John says, "...in Him was life, and the life was the light of men." And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overtake it. Of course, John is continuing to pick up on the theme that is in Genesis chapter 1 that God created lights. And he's applying it to the Lord Jesus. In verse 6, he said, There was a man, having been sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light so that all may believe through him. He was not the light. He came to bear witness about the light. There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens everyone. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. So John's saying it again. We see Jesus is the one who made the world. We saw that in Colossians 1. Yet the world did not know Him. Why did the world not know Him? Because the world is sitting in darkness, right? You see, Jesus... According to John Jesus is the true light coming into the world which enlightens everyone. Now turn over to John chapter 8. In John 1 turn over to John chapter 8. In John 8:12 Jesus proclaims that very truth. In John 8:12 he says Jesus says I am the light of the world. He who follows Me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Turn quickly over to John 9.5. Jesus says, While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. You see, these, these verses put everything together. You see, Jesus is the source of the light. Jesus is the true light. He is the light of the world shining in the darkness. And while He was in the world, He was the light of the world. And everyone who follows Him, everyone who is in Him, will never walk in darkness. Here's the truth. If you are in Him, you will have the light of life. You will reflect the true light which comes from who? Jesus he is the true light, and you reflect His light. As such, we must take care that we are shining that light. You see, we need to remember that a city set on the hill, this is Matthew, back in Matthew 5.14, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You see, beloved church, we cannot hide the light of Christ that is within us. We shine as lights in this dark world, and we need to recognize that being a Christian, let me say this very, very slowly being a Christian is incompatible with darkness. Let me tell you again, being a Christian is incompatible with darkness. We must shine just like a city set on a hill. A city set on a hill shines. As a Christian, you shine, and you are incompatible with darkness. Let me just tell you that that cannot be changed. That is a truth. In the words of John MacArthur, a secret Christian is as incongruous as hidden lights. Lights are to illuminate, not to be hidden, to be displayed, not to be covered. Christians are both to be subtle salts, we haven't left salt completely, and conspicuous light. Does that make sense? You are to be salt. It's who you are. And you are to be light as you shine forth. He goes on to say, this is John MacArthur again, he goes on to say, whereas salt is hidden, light is obvious. Salt works secretly while light works openly. Salt works from within, light from without. Salt is the more direct, inf- indirect influence of the gospel, while light is more its direct communication. Salt works primarily through our living, while light works primarily through what we teach and preach. Salt is largely negative, in that it retards corruption, but it cannot change corruption into incorruption. Do you understand that? Light is more positive. It only reveals what is wrong and false, not only reveals what is wrong and false, but it helps produce what is righteous and true. So you understand, that's the end quote. The point he's making is, is that as Christians, we exist as salt. We, are preser- we have a preserving effect on the world around us, but that doesn't necessarily change the world, it only keeps it from getting worse. But then we are lights in that we preach the gospel that we preach the truth, that we teach the truth, we teach our families, we teach others in the church, we go out and we do, uh, we do uh, evangelism, we, we preach the gospel, and when we do those things, uh, we see a change in others, and that actually produces what is right and true. What an amazing, what an amazing, amazing illustration our Lord uses. Look back at your text in Matthew 5.15. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand and gives and it gives light to all who are in the house. As Christians, we bring light into this dark world. And in doing so, we expose the darkness. We show the things that thrive in the darkness. And, and we, we're not to shrink back from that. In John 3. 19-21, to Jesus told Nicodemus, and this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world. Well, he's speaking of himself, right? But he's also speaking of us because we reflect his light, right? So in, this is judgment. The light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light Lest his deeds be exposed. But he who practices the truth, the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as being done, having been done by God. Beloved, as reflectors of that true light, we expose the darkness. But the darkness hates it. They don't want to be exposed. They love the dark, they love the deeds of the dark. Nevertheless, we are not to hide the light, but we are to put the light, our light on a lampstand so that it would give light to the world. You see, Jesus expects you to let your light shine. Look back at your text in Matthew 5.16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I, I pray, my hope and prayer is that you will take Jesus' words to, ha- to heart. I pray that you will let your light, the true light of Christ, in your heart. I, I pray that you will let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. I pray that men and women would see your good works. They would see who you are, and they would give the Father all the glory. And even as you expose the deeds of darkness and and suffer persecution, I pray that you will not hide the light, but you would let it shine. Just a a side note, the, the word translated good describes the quality of your works. You see, the works that we do in Christ are beautiful in appearance. You see, to those who are seeking the truth, they are attractive. Letting our light shine before men shows what Christ has accomplished in us. And when they see those good works wrought in us by Christ, they see Christ in us. They see uh, it is Jesus' light that they're seeing. And and, and we can can dampen that. Or we can let all to see. It is our choice to, to hide it or let it shine. No, we let it shine not because we, we want the glory. We let it shine because He gets the glory and He gets the praise. You see, glorifying God with our lives is our greatest calling. We live the way we do so that others will come to glorify God. See how that salt and, and light works together? We are who we are because of who, what Christ has made us to be but then we shine our light so that others would come to glorify him but we remember that the darkness hates the light so that they will they 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 will persecute those who shine their light but that's okay because it's God who comes alongside and comforts us what an amazing word of God the word that we have the truth so Jesus warns don't extinguish your lights and you might be asking, how do I extinguish my light? You said it's in me, right? It's there. Well, gen- generally, fear causes us to hide the lights. You see, we have a fear of offending people. We have a, a fear of being seen out, as out of step with the world, so, so we hide that light. But Jesus says, let it shine forth. Some of us may even have indifference or lack of love. Yet, when we hide this light that we have, we're demonstrating that we're unfaithful to the Lord. Don't extinguish that light. Now, understanding that we all shine differently. I love the words of Johnny Erickson Tata. She says, some Christians are like candles. They glow in the warmth that draw in with a warmth that draws people to them. Then again, you have, a, have the flashlight sort of believers who seem to, to look right through, right through you. Christians with the gift of teaching remind me of reliable, steady light bulbs, dispelling darkness and showing things for what they truly are. Then there are the laser types cutting right through the tomfoolery and getting things done. Searchlight people have a way of leading people or leading others out of the darkness and guiding and directing them back to safety. But here's the point. Let your light shine. That is what Jesus wants us to do. Let the light that is within us, the light that God that he has put in us shine forth for all to see. Now as we conclude this section on light, salt and lights. I just want to speak to you personally. <clears throat> I'm I'm saddened when I hear people say that Grace Bible Church is doing nothing or very little in the world around us. Here's the charge. I'm sure you've heard it. We come together on Sunday, maybe a little during the week, but we don't do anything else. There's no fellowship outside the gathering. The church is not impacting the community around us. In other words, the charge is we're not being salt and light to the the world around us. Here's what I tell people who say those things. You are the church. You are the church. You are to be the salt and the light. If you want to turn quickly to Ephesians chapter 4, I want to, I want to show you something real quick. In Ephesians 4 11, and 12, Paul writes, He gave some as, He Himself gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the service to the building up the body of the body of Christ. Put simply, what Paul is saying is, is he gave the teaching, preaching, prophetic and evangelistic gifts to the body of Christ to equip the saints for the work of the service to the building up of the body. We come together, this is the point, we come together for the purpose of those gifts being used For the ultimate purpose of being built up as the body. Together. Unified. We gather so that we can become strong in Christ. You might say, we we gather to become better at being salt. We gather to become better at being salt. Now turn back to Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 1, Paul prayed that the church at Ephesus, with their eyes being enlightened, will, that they would know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Now, what you've got to understand is that the church at Ephesus was struggling, struggling inwardly. You see, they understood doctrine. They, they, had, a, they had a solid foundation of doctrine but they were not grasping the full power, the full impact of what Christ was doing through them. I'm, I'm here to tell you that I think that they were in a, same, a similar position as uh, that, that, they are, that we are in a similar position as the church at Ephesus. Here's what I would tell you. I don't believe that we fully grasp God's power here at Grace Bible Church. I don't believe we fully understand what God wants to accomplish through us. Now, I want you to to know, I'm not pointing a finger at you. I'm preaching to myself as well. But here's what I want you to see. Look at Ephesians 1.19. Paul, in this verse, literally stacks his terms trying to describe the power of God. He says this, and so remember, earlier in one eighteen, he says that they would know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Then he goes on to say, And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of the might of his strength? You see, here's what's amazing. What Paul is saying is, is that you cannot imagine how powerful the God that the, the who how powerful God is, the God you serve. And he wants them to see that. I want you to see that. Then in verse 20, Paul proclaims that it is that same power, the power of God which he worked in Christ by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. Here's the point. Have you ever ever seen a powerful nation, how powerful they are? Christ is more powerful. Christ is above that. Have you ever seen a powerful group of people? Christ is above that. Christ is above everything you could ever imagine. Because He's above everything. All rule, all authority, all power, all dominion. He's above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the age to come, He's above it. You see, God demonstrated His Unstoppable and unlimited power by raising Christ from the dead, by defeating death, by raising him to death, and seating him in the heavenly places. And he made clear the surpassing great, greatness of his power by seating his son far above all earthly and all heavenly powers. Here's, amazing, here's what's amazing this power is the same power that we possess as the body of Christ. Does that shock you? Does that shock you when I say that? Well, I didn't say it. Paul did. Look back at your text. In verse 22, and he put all things in subjection under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things to the church. Look at verse 23. Which is his body, the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here's the point. You see, Christ Jesus, the head of the church, your head, wants you to recognize the power of living as salt and light. Let me put it this way. We are the body of Christ. Christ. And as such, we are salt and light to the world around us. Paul says that we are literally the fullness of Him. We are His representatives. We have, been called, we have been called by Him and we have been given His power to be salt and light to this world. We ought to be living as salt and lights, Obeying His Word. Here's my prayer for Grace Bible Church. That you, the eyes of your hearts, having been enlightened, that you will know what is the hope of His calling. That you will know what are the riches of His glory, of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward you who believe according to the working of the might of His strength, which He worked in Christ by raising Him from the dead and seating Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet, and He gave Him His head over all things to you, the church. You are His body. You are the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And He's calling you to be salt and light to this dark world. Go and do so. Heavenly Father, may you get all the glory. in the church, and throughout this world. May we be the salt of the earth. May we be the light of the world reflecting the light of our Lord Jesus. Preaching the Gospel to those who need to hear. Father, I pray that we would recognize the power of the Gospel and the power of living righteously before You.